except that one thing. And so that is, I'm telling you, those two days that we come together as a church are going to be amazing. It's going to be about 80 or so homeless people that sleep here in this auditorium. Our service that Saturday, I think it's the last Saturday before Easter, I think it is, that we're going to do just an hour service that night just to prepare for them to be able to come. They're our guests. That's the term that we use. They're our guests. We feed them a hot meal. There's three shifts for each one of those nights to make it work. So there's the, the early on prep, the dinner, and then there's the overnight shift, and then there's one that comes in, I think around four or something like that, to help get them off for the breakfast. And so I'm going to pass a clipboard in each of these sections. And so if you've not had a chance to sign up for that, you'll see there's different papers for different shifts. I'm going to start this one right here. And then maybe the sections on the end, when you get it at the very back, you can pass it over to the wings. And so we're going to pass those and it's just going to be, it's going to, if you've never done anything like that before, there's a sheriff's deputy that's here the whole time. That's what Vanessa talks about, it being safe. They get wanded. Uh, they have to do a breathalyzer. And so there's a, just, there's a process to make sure that it's a, they've, ne- they've not had any incidents. And it's just an amazing organization. Working with the local church, which is the way it should happen. And so we're so privileged that this campus and other churches that are here on this campus are all coming together, really for one of the first times of us doing collectively something, something together for all the churches on the campus of the Mosaic. And don't you love that it's this? that it's stepping in with port. So let me just pray for that before we get started tonight. Father, we thank you for these guests. We, we thank you, Father, that, 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 that tonight they're going to be guests somewhere at another church. And we just lift them up to you, Father. That whatever healing needs to happen into their lives, whatever provision that needs to come for them, God, Whatever needs to happen for them to restart their journey, we pray, Father, that whatever church that they're going to be in tonight, they're going to have divine encounters with you, divine encounters with people who love them. And for us, Father, that there would be some sense of anticipation and excitement that we cannot wait for our turn to come, that we cannot wait to greet those people, that we cannot wait to serve those guests and to feed them not just with a physical food, but to look at them with a kind face and to begin to speak words of encouragement, words of hope into their life in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the privilege that you've given us to stand in this place. And we pray, Father, there's going to be a waiting list, a waiting list for the City Life Church for the two nights that we've taken. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a, a port meeting next Saturday night after church for all the people that want to volunteer, and we'll go into great detail there of what's going to be expected of all of us who come. It's going to be a great time together. So, hey, I'm excited tonight. As you know, I take uh, the month off from the pulpit, not from work, but from, from pulp to pulpit to help get ready for the business meeting and just to get refreshed. And so I haven't preached in a month, so you might be here for a while. Just saying that as a disclaimer. No. As a, as a disclaimer, maybe. We'll see how it goes. So we're, we're launching a new series. We're launching a new series tonight called City Life, Monopoly City Life Edition. And so let me read you this story. And this is a series that we're going to keep coming back to throughout the year. And we're going to use this series to help explore the pathways. And we'll explain that a little bit more in just a moment. But I found this on the history blog. That's an actual website that has some neat history facts. A complete Monopoly game set, handmade by unemployed heating engineer Charles Darrow in 1933, sold at Sotheby's Malcolm Forbes Toy Collection Auction on December 17th of 2010, here it comes, for $146,500. The set includes a circular game board made out of oil cloth and decorated with pen and ink, the rule sheet, playing cards, money deeds, and tokens. 
It was purchased by the National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York, to add to their impressive collection of 65 historical Monopoly sets. Now, Monopoly has a storied history. Most common is a British game called the Landlord's Game, invented in 1904 by Elizabeth Maggie, was to illustrate the dangers of unequal wealth distribution. It migrated across the Atlantic in various forms as people created their own boards and pieces to play with their friends. Ruth Hoskins played a version called Finance in Indianapolis, which she customized with the now familiar Atlantic City Places names when she moved to New Jersey. It was the Hoskins version that Darrow was first introduced to by friends in Philadelphia. Darrow saw the real money-making potential of the game and began to produce handmade sets to sell. He produced one or two a day at most. And although they were only publicized by word of mouth from friends and family, soon he had many orders and he couldn't keep up. Within months, he had copyrighted the game and contracted with a local printer and made complete Monopoly sets, but on the cheap, he still did all the decorating and painting by hand. In 1934, he offered the game to Parker Brothers, who turned him down. It's great, isn't it? They, they said the general public will never be able to figure this game out. So Darrow kept at it, now ordering full-color printed versions, which he sold to major retailers like FAO Schwartz in New York. The next year, Parker Brothers came calling hat in hand, and the rest is history. This set that I just referred to, bought by the National Museum of Play, is the earliest Darrow set that has all the pieces, including the rules. And since Darrow was the first Monopoly hobbyist to actually codify the rules, the predecessor's rules were all just informally determined at the table. This set illustrated a pivotal moment in the evolution of the game when it went from playful trend to cultural icon. I know you're all thinking right now, what kind of game could I make up, right? So, so every... Any, Anybody here played Monopoly before, right? Okay. So, so we like participation at the City Life Church. So, so maybe it's your favorite game piece. Maybe it's a, a, a creative rule that you came up with as a family. Like for us as a family, somebody shared with us, whatever you have to pay a fine, right? You go to the, the, you get a community chess card and you have to pay some money. We put all that in the middle of the board and whoever lands on free parking gets to take all that money. Oh, it's a game changer. I know some of you are thinking, oh, I'm doing that next time, right? So somebody else, just a, a, your favorite game piece, a memory, a rule that you do, Sabra? Okay. Nice. So she grew up playing the Star Wars version, and so when she played the actual version, it was a little anticlimactic because she's saying, this is what she's saying, I'm not saying that Star Wars game is better than the regular version. So we're starting a little controversy tonight here at the City Life Church. Somebody else, somebody else, a memory, a rule, your favorite game piece, the piece that you won't play with if you don't get it. You're a poor sport and you get up and walk away. You know who you are. Come on. Who is it? Nathaniel? Treat everything. It's all about the property. Yes, ma'am. If you were caught sitting on money, like hiding so you could fool people, that if you got caught sitting on money, that, that's serious. You had to sit under the table while everybody else finished the game. So you know what we're all wondering right now. How many, how, not how, did you, but how many times did you have to sit under the table? Oh, oh, wow, all right, all right. I like that. Note to self, she's not ever allowed to help take up the offering here at the City Life Church. Note to self, somebody could write that down. Kevin. $500 is always in the middle for free. So even if it gets taken, you replace it with a $500 bill. A nice, nice. All right, somebody else. Favorite game piece, a rule? 
the rules that your brother made up to when you still seem a little bit bitter about that. So he was making it up as he went along to help facilitate his winning, Dustin. Now, that's right. We do that same one. If, if you're not paying attention and somebody lands on your property and the next person rolls, then you don't get your rent. Nick. Wow. All right, I'm not saying that one into the microphone so that no one else will know. So I'm going to steal that idea. Now, one year, he gave his wife a gift, and he did a homemade Monopoly set, and everything about the game were things about their journey together as a couple. I say, come on, you can do it louder than that. Oh, I know, I know. He's going to be doing a marriage seminar starting next weekend, immediately following the service. Christy. Christy's telling on Tim right now, elders in the church right here. So, so Tim's about ready to give his defense. The art of the deal. Nice. So he said the last time they played about five or seven years ago, Tim did all these trades with their children and took advantage of them. And by the time they realized what was happening, they were all crying and bankrupt. And Christy said they're scarred as a family because of it. And for Tim's defense, he said, it's the art of the deal. So he's in sales and we're not going to tell you what company he works for. Chandler. Celeste has never completed. She, does, she says she doesn't have the patience for it. So she, at some point, she just gives up. All right, last one, Tyler. Yeah, if you roll a double three times in a row, you go to jail. Anybody else do that one? I know. Yeah, we do that one too. So, all right, we did this one. So, so let me read these to you. Scripture, prayer, worship, fasting, accountability, relationships, gathering, reaching, stewardship, generosity, rest, and service will forever transcend time and culture. Those are called what here at the City Life Church? They're the pathways. So you might not know, but in 2012, an initiative ensued where a decision was going to be made to replace one of the game pieces. Anybody else hear about this, right? A cat was coming on board, right? Because there's a dog, and so there has to be, there's a dog, there has to be a cat, right? So that meant that there had to be one of the pieces was going to get displaced. And so it really came down to about three different pieces. The shoe was up, right? And so shoe companies like Nike and other companies began to put these marketing campaigns together to, to lobby Monopoly that that piece would not get lost. Unfortunately, the iron did not have anybody working in its defense, now, this is one of my favorite game pieces because if you've been a part of the City Life Church for any amount of time, you know I have an issue with wrinkles, right? Celeste is laughing over there, right? So my shirt's on a hanger on the way to church. I'm a little bit OCD. So, so for me, I'm, I'm keeping this, and I just want you to know that if you ever play Monopoly with me, even though it's not a legitimate game piece, I will have one, my own personal. I'm, I'm not getting rid of you, Iron, because you're one of my favorites. But why, why are we talking about this? Because a thousand years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back by then, True Christians, if they're true followers of the faith, they're not going to call a meeting and make a decision about which one of these have become outdated. There's not going to be some grand meeting where all the Christian leaders are going to come together. Can we, dare we say, an enclave of Christians to say, okay, which one of these are we going to retire? Because prayer has kind of lost its significance in the faith. They're timeless. They transcend time 
and culture. No matter what nation, no matter what culture, no matter how far back we go in time or how much we imagine into the future, these 12 pathways are pillars and hallmarks of the Christian faith. And this year in this Monopoly, the City Life edition series that we're going to keep jumping back into throughout the year, we're going to explore these pathways together because this is what I believe. In fact, the only hope of our lives having any lasting meaning is for every other life pursuit to be secondary to these pathways. The temporal must give way to the eternal. It has to. It doesn't mean that there aren't temporary things that we're supposed to do in this life because God created many of those temporary things that he wants us to do to enjoy this life. The question is, what's the foundation of your life? The question is, what's at the center of your life? The question is, out of what does everything else flow? And for me, for my life, and I hope for the City Life Church and everybody who calls this church their home, that you want these pathways to be at the center of who you are, define you, be the identity of your Christianity, because they are your journey into a life that is filled with meaning. Galatians 6.8 is our life verse for this entire series. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there or you can swipe there. Or you can read it on the screen. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now this is an important text for us here at the City Life Church because our message is heaven now, heaven forever the first heaven is with a lowercase h, and the second one is with a big H. The big H, heaven forever, that talks about the heaven that we grew up learning about in Sunday school on flannel boards, right? The paradise that's to come. That has nothing to do with our effort. That's the doctrine of grace. It only has to do with who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, the communion table. But the other heaven, the heaven now, that has everything to do about your effort. It has everything to do about the choices that you make in this life and whether or not you give your life to the work of these pathways. This is an important text for us because right here the Apostle Paul talks about effort. You might say, I don't see effort. That's because this was written 2,000 years ago and it was an agricultural society. When they talked about sowing, they understood they were talking about labor. They under, if you have ever lived or worked on a farm, you see that word and you're already breaking out in a sweat. You're cramping up right now. You're feeling tired, right? Because you understand that there is a work, there is a labor, there is an effort to this life that's agricultural based for your living. And so Paul says, hey, just as it is for us in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. If you want to experience eternal life, he's not talking about the heaven that's to come because Paul's one of the great authors of the doctrine of grace inspired by the Holy Spirit. But now he's talking about the heaven that's now. Because Paul teaches, just like we teach, that eternal life isn't just measured on the time continuum, it's measured on the depth continuum. It's not just a life that's forever, it's a life that's full. So Paul's saying here, eternal life, the heaven now, it takes effort, it takes choices, and he contrasts it with this other idea because you know what? Those of us who have a sordid past, I didn't make a decision to be a follower of Christ until 1990. I did a lot of sowing, right? We worked hard to do bad things, right? We put some effort in. Some of you know what I'm talking about. There was money that you spent. There was, there was scheming that you did that resulted in destruction, yet we just kept going back and doing the same thing. It just didn't happen to us by accident. Paul's saying you're going to put effort forward in your life one way or, or the other. You can either choose a good outcome or you can choose a rotten outcome. It just, it's your choice. What are you going to do? And I think he's also saying something here a little bit more subtle. 
Because we all understand the destruction that comes from bad decisions. We all understand the destruction that has come into our lives. We've experienced it in a personal way when we step into things that are immoral. But I think Paul's also talking about here things that we might consider benign. Things that, they're not bad. Hobbies, interests, pursuits, things that we give our time to, things that we give our money to that are just temporal in nature. Paul says, hey, be careful. Be careful how much you give yourself to these things that are in the middle category. They're not immoral and they're not especially spiritual in nature, but they're part of this experience in this life. It might be for you athletics. It might be for you an interest or a hobby that you have. We did the Father's Mandate in Growing Kids God's Way this week at our house, and somebody shared when they were growing up, their father had a fascination with racing remote control cars, and he was always gone. He was absent from the home, not, not because he was at the local bar, but because he was out racing remote control cars. That doesn't sound terribly immoral, but it had a devastating impact on that family because he wasn't there. You with me? If we're not careful... Even things that we don't think as being bad, if they displace the eternal that's supposed to define who we are, there is the price that you pay and those that look to you for the help that you're supposed to give, especially as a father and as a husband. 1 Peter 1, 24, 25. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord stands forever. Peter understood what we're talking about here tonight. Peter understood that there is something about giving your life to things that are eternal and something about, yes, enjoying the temporal, but always make sure that they're subservient to the eternal. And he gives us an example here of the eternal word of the Lord. If you want your life, to be filled with meaning that's lasting meaning. We're inviting you to go on a journey with us at the City Life Church to give your life to these 12 pathways. In fact, if we could, a little bit of a pun tonight, we want them to monopolize your life. All right, come on, you like that? Came up with that all by myself. So, so Monopoly, the City Life Edition, that's the name of the series. And then within the series, we're going to have sermons that we do. And the one that we're going to be digging around in together for this month of March is called Hashtag the Bank. So Hashtag the Bank is going to be a series that we do on stewardship and generosity. Now, why are, why are we starting? Why are we starting with that one? So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke 12. Luke 12. You like that, right? The cat. You're next because that's how cats are. I grew up with cats. I can say that, honestly. All right. They're the boss whether or not you acknowledge it or not. Luke 12. Let's start with the bottom one first. Luke 12, 1 through 4. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands, thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. And Jesus turned First to his disciples and warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. And whatever you have said in the dark, listen to this, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. That'll make you shiver, won't it? And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill the body. They cannot do any more to you 
after that. Now let's jump over to verse 42. Verse 42. And the Lord replied, A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. And if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins, this is the servant, not the master. And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. Verse 48, but someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone who has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Why are we reading this? Because we believe in the doctrine of grace. And we believe that the doctrine of grace sets aside in totality the eternal judgment that that we deserve because of the sinfulness of our humanity. The doctrine of grace is because Jesus died on the cross, there is forgiveness that can be extended to us and heaven can be promised to us having nothing to do with you at all. There's nothing that you can do to earn the capital H heaven that's to come. Jesus died on the cross. It's the doctrine of grace. And you can't do anything to get there. We are absolutely, desperately dependent upon the grace of God to be with him in eternity forever. And this text reminds us that while grace displaces eternal judgment, it does not displace all judgment. It reminds us that there's still a judgment that God rests upon us, and it's a judgment of faithfulness. It's a judgment of how did we live the life that God has entrusted us to have? What have we done with the resources that he's given us? What have we done with the talents and the resources that are without our disposal? What have we done with the influence that he's entrusted to us to help bring other people into the kingdom? There is still a judgment that God puts upon us based on how we live. It's not a judgment that keeps us out of heaven. If we've made a vow of devotion to Christ, that's ours forever. But I'm just saying to you tonight, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just get in. I don't want to just make it. I don't want my life to do the bare minimum that's expected of me as a devoted follower of Christ. I want my life to be filled with meaning and the pathways they take us there. Luke 17. Luke 17. Oh, I like these stories. Luke 17, 7 through 10. This is a good one. So when a servant comes in, I like to read this one to my children all the time when they just do chores around the house and want allowance. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal and put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. Anybody get this story in Sunday school? Flannel board, angry Jesus. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Jesus is saying, hey, 
There's just the minimum, and you can do that if you want to. You're still going to get to heaven because of the death that I'm going to die on the cross, but you're just meeting the minimum expectations. Some of you work with people like this. It's frustrating. You might be that person that's frustrating other people on your job because you only ever do just enough to get by. Anybody know somebody like that? No elbowing. Here, please. It's irritating to be around people like that, isn't it? They're, they're just doing just barely enough to not get fired. But yet many of us, even if we're excelling in work ethic in the workplace, it begs the question, how are we doing in our spiritual life? How are we doing as a devoted follower of Christ? Is Jesus' response to us, yeah, you're going to be with me forever, but you're, but you're really just only doing the basics. There's more and more brings better. John 10, 10, he came that we might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. It's just not speaking of the heaven that's to come. It's speaking of the heaven now. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you some pathways. And if you will let them monopolize your life, I'm telling you, you'll break past the threshold of the bare minimum expectation and you will experience a depth of fulfillment that you thought was impossible in this life that you spent years chasing through your debauchery and through all of these other things. And so now you are here just standing on the cusp of what could be. Will you give yourself to it he promises you it's going to be good exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine ephesians 3 20 we prayed that with somebody tonight psalm 90 if you're reading through the bible in the year with us you came across this recently psalm 90 verse 17 and may the lord our god show us his approval and make our efforts successful yes make our efforts successful. There is effort that you and I are supposed to be bringing to the table. The doctrine of grace does not displace effort. If anything, it calls us further to it. If anything, it demands something of us. The true doctrine of grace looks at us and says, yes, you've been forgiven. Now come on, let's get to work and let's do something together that's going to bring about lasting meaning. New Testament Bible stats, 16 out of the 38 parables that you find in the New Testament, one out of every 12 verses in the New Testament. There's 500 verses or so on prayer. There's less than 500 on faith, but there's over 2,000 verses on money and material possessions. Did you know that? Over 2,000 verses in the New Testament that deal with money and material possession. Why do you think that is? It's because Jesus says to us, be careful with this one. It's part of our temporal world. It's part of this temporary existence. There, there's no getting around that. It's going to be part of our lives. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, it can be a couple of the pathways that can go in the wrong direction and it can become a source of destruction in our lives. And so Jesus spent so much time teaching about money and material possessions. Why? Because he wants us to get it right. Why? Because he wants our lives to be filled with meaning. Why? Why? Because he wants us to walk in the promise of John 10, 10, a life beyond measure. So over the next four weeks, we're going to ask ourselves four heart questions. 
and we're going to ask ourselves four money questions, is that we examine two of these 12 pathways, generosity and stewardship. We took this test together last year as a church. I think we're going to take this test together every year as a church. Every year. If the Bible is going to give that much attention, surely we should spend a little time in this topic every year. Four heart questions, four money questions. So the first one is, am I submitted? I know it's the S word and we don't like it. For some of us, we just we pull back just when we, when we see the word. All the questions that we're going to ask ourselves and hashtag the bank, if we don't get this one right, none of the rest of them matter. If we don't get this one right, we don't have any, we don't have any hope of the other three heart questions and the four money questions. It all starts here. Jesus had a lot to say about surrender. So anybody here have a sensitive gag reflex? Anybody? Yeah? Or he's pointing at Steve. Christy, who else? Sensitive gag reflex, Lynette? Yeah, you know who you are. Some of you are gagging already, just thinking about it, right? Oh, oh. One of our kids, I'm not, I won't tell you who it is because I didn't get their permission beforehand. So, so since I just taught on the Father's Mandate on Wednesday, right, I should get a few things right, right? So one of our kids, you know, had a super sensitive gag reflex, and we like that because we know that that child would never choke on anything, right? Just anything that kind of got a little bit caught projectile vomit right there at the kitchen table, right? They're like, hey, he's good. He's good to go. We just, we would just let him, let, let, let them eat gobstoppers in the room all by themselves. We just, we just go out for the night. We knew they were okay. They were safe, right? Bump. It's clearing a path. It's clearing a path, right? Anybody have some kids like that, right? The wrong foods? I remember for, for this particular child that, 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 uh, that he wouldn't eat certain kinds of food. And so, right, we're, oh, you're going to eat this food. Like one of the things that I would do if they wouldn't eat the portion that was given to them. And, and they, were, right, they were normal. They weren't, you know, these, these crazy portions. I, I would say, well, you can eat that. When they were old enough to understand, you know, you can either eat that. I'm going to set the timer on the microwave for five minutes. And if the timer goes off and that's not gone, I'm doubling your portion. Or teach them about Texas Hold'em already, doubling down, right? So I'm telling you, it works. It, I'm telling you, it works. Or maybe they do it the first time, but then they realize, hey, I'm going to get this thing right. So for this particular child, there were certain kinds of food, and, and, and they would say, oh, it makes me feel sick. And, you know, I'm, we're thinking as parents, oh, yeah, we used that one before, right? Because it only had to do with carrots and things like that. They never said this cake really makes my stomach hurt. So, so, so eventually they just kept counting on. So the next time the pediatrician, Vanessa was there, and the pediatrician said, well, you know, with children... Their gag reflex with eating cert certain kinds of foods is one of the indications that they have an allergy to that food. We're like, okay, we're rotten parents. That's just the bottom line, right? So that particular child didn't, and even to this day, certain, these certain kinds of foods, if they're not prepared the right way, oh, yeah, it's projectile vomit. So are we talking about that? Because God's got a pretty sensitive gag reflex. And it comes... So when he watches what we do with our money and our material possessions. It's interesting this word is not used in relation to God very often in the Bible. And when it is, mostly it's used in relation to his observance of us with money and material resources. He says, no one can serve two masters. You will, for, for you will hate one and love the other. Or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. And then he said to them, you 
like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your heart and what this world honors, listen, is detestable in the sight of God. And this word in the Greek is the word that Jesus would have used in his day to talk about wanting to throw up. It was a vulgar word. It, was a, it, it wasn't this, oh, that bothers me. It was that I'm going to vomit right now if I don't look away. It's interesting, isn't it? It creates a pretty poignant picture for us, doesn't it? Am I, in the way that I live my life, am I causing the creator of the universe to gag if he doesn't look away? I don't, I don't want to live that kind of life. Still going to get into heaven. That's not what we're talking about. Grace keeps me there, but I want my Father to smile upon me all the days of my life. I want to bring joy to his heart. And I know I'm not always going to get it right. You're not always going to. We're going to make mistakes, and that's part of the beauty of the doctrine of grace, too. He doesn't give up on us, but let's not make him gag by the way that we live especially when he observes us and how we're dealing with our money and our material resources. Luke 12, 47, this is a verse that we read earlier in our text. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. So Psalm 24, 1, I remember finding this verse Early on as a follower of Christ, when I read through the Bible really for the first time in 1991, I remember coming to this verse, and this phrase repeats itself in many places in the Bible. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. Let's read it again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. If you've ever been through a real estate transaction, you know that there's a question of what conveys and what doesn't convey. Everything in the world conveys to God. It's his. It belongs to him. Everything that you have, every material possession that belongs to you, every relationship that's sacred to you, every resource, every opportunity for influence, everything in this world, it's his. And when we have in our heart Something that says, God, I want to be submitted to you. I want to be a different kind of servant than what we read about in Luke 12. I want to live my life under the context of divine ownership. And it changes the way we begin to make decisions about what belongs to us because we realize it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. And we begin to insert a question before all decisions. God, this is yours. What do you want to do with it? This is yours. How do you want me to proceed? It changes the way that you begin to think. If you begin to think in your workplace that the things that are there belong to you, you're going to end up in jail. You with me? One of, my, one of our new favorite shows is American Greed. Vanessa and I watch after the kids go to bed. You watch that? crazy things these people do to steal. If they had just put all that ingenuity, right, into a real business plan, they could have been multimillionaires. What if God were to create an episode of American Greed? Would you be in it? Would you be in it? Everything we have belongs to Him. It changes the way that we live. If we don't get this question right, 
it doesn't matter the other three heart questions. And this idea of what does he want us to do, that's going to be part of the four money questions that we work through together in this sermon, the hashtag the bank, that's going to have four parts to it. I want to be a person that understands what the person who owns it wants to do with it, and then I'm carrying out his plans every step of the way. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. This is 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 13. It says, Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, that's Jacob, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. Let's read that part again. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours. O Lord, and this is your kingdom, we adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor, they come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. O our God, we thank you and we praise you your glorious name. I hope you read that every day this month. I hope you put that, a bookmark in your Bible or however you tag the Bible app that you're using in every day. And this would be our prayer. God, I want David's song to become my song. I want David's song to be Fred's song. I want David's song to be the song of my life. And God wants it to become your song. Not because he's got an ego problem. Because he knows that if you will, let it become your song. Oh, the lasting meaning that you will enjoy in this life. Sure, heaven's promised to you because of the doctrine of grace. But I hope you're living for more than that. I hope you're living for more than that. So in December of 1990, I made a vow of devotion to Christ. And it was soon after that, as I was falling asleep that night, felt like God spoke to me. I've never heard his audible voice. I like to say I feel his voice. It was great. I, during the, the, uh, the, the, the announcements, not that I'm not paying attention when Vanessa's doing announcements, I'm just slipping that in. But, but during the announcements, I was talking to somebody in the back who, who's, whose wife raised their hand during the time, and, and, and he said, what you were talking about, that thing about not being exceptional, we had that conversation last night. Last night, we had that conversation. We want to be a church that helps you learn how to feel God's voice. We want to be a church that helps you feel God's voice. Might even do a series on that this year. So I feel his voice for one of the first times in my life. And and God says, hey, I want you to fast tomorrow. I was hoping he was maybe going to say something else, but that's what he picked. And never really done any fasting for spiritual. I I wrestled in, in middle school and high school, so I had done not the food thing before, but never for spiritual reasons. So I said, all right, if I'm going to do this thing right, right, I want to get the first thing he asked me to do right. So I just drank water and juice that very next day and all day, right, I'm thinking, oh, God's going to speak something profound to me, right? He's going to give me some secret that I'm going to write some book and make millions of dollars, right? That's what I'm hoping for. I know, it's terrible. 
you, you've hoped that. Don't, don't pretend. You've been there. Some of you were there earlier today, just like me, right? Come so all day, not, not, nothing happens. It's like I did my part. I'm, you know, come on. So I'm, I'm, I'm about ready to fall asleep, and then it comes. God says, are you hungry? Like, oh, great. Here we go. Yeah, I'm hungry. I might eat my arm off before I wake up in the morning, right? I'm, I'm starving. My deal was I wasn't going to eat until breakfast to follow. I'm hungry, God. I'm hungry. So he asked me this multiple times. And God does that, not because he's hard of hearing, because he's trying to get our attention. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Over and over and over and over and over. He wanted me to identify with the pain of my body. And then he says, because there's a new life that's been born inside of you that gets hungry. And if you don't feed it, it will live famished. And don't do that. And he talked to me about feasting on his word. And, and, I, and I've been around the church. I understood some of those, right, where Jesus says that he was tempted by the, the devil in the wilderness. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He began to talk to me. He didn't use the word pathways, but looking back, I understand it then, right? He asked me to fast. Then he's talking to me about scripture. Why? Because he wanted my life to be filled with meaning. He wasn't asking me to, to, to experience some new monastic movement. He's saying, hey, if you want just heaven, you, you got that. That's all good because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. But if you want to experience a depth of life that's like Psalm 23, a cup that's running over, then you give yourself to these things that are eternal and you make sure that you don't let the things that are temporal to push them aside. Stand with me. Father, we worship you in this moment for many reasons, but for one, for all of us tonight, we worship you because we want David's song to be our song. We want to be a people of the pathways. We want to walk in them. We want them to monopolize our time and define who we are. We want there to be an open heaven over our lives, and so we say, God, help us to have an open heart. We want to be hungry, and we want to be thirsty for righteousness. We want to have a heart that's submitted to you in every way. Oh, God, especially when it comes to taking care of everything that belongs to you. Let's worship together.